0: Welcome to Beyond the Scars. I am your host, Olivia. And I'm your host, Gianni Storm.
1: This is a new podcast where we share real people and their stories of perseverance. Today we have Doug, born with a bicuspid aortic valve disease, which became serious when he almost developed an aneurysm that would have taken his life. Doug will share his experience of having open heart surgery, his recovery,
0: and how life looks for him today. Doug?
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for
0: joining us today, Doug. I guess let's get to know you a little better. Um, I know last time we talked, you mentioned that you have, were graduated graduate of West Point, right? I, and of I, wait, I'm,
2: I'm what they call an old grad, because I'm, I think, you know, what? what let's see, 93, so like uh, almost 30 years. Almost 30
0: years. 30 years. So, so yeah. tell us about your life, what were you were doing once graduating, where were you into? Um, you know,
2: I... Uh, it's it's like I, I I was I feel it was kind of the same back then that I am now um you know I grew up in Michigan pretty you know athlete did a lot of different things went on to the academy uh did the four years there which is great went into the army after that uh as an artillery officer at Fort Carson Colorado spent my five years doing what artillery officers do and then got out and moved to the Chicago area now uh now I'm in Lending just right outside Cary with uh my family. I grew up in Michigan. I graduated. So I am a Michigan fan when Army's not playing, even though I didn't go there. I joke that Michigan was my safe school and I take a lot of crap for that. Um, And then, yeah, I went from Michigan to the academy and ended up back here in the Chicagoland area. uh, And I've been here for since 1998, but have stayed active, you know, played rugby uh, for many years uh, in martial arts, a lot of the things, which when, as we talk about, you know, overcoming some of this stuff, you know, a lot of it is tied into that kind of lifestyle.
1: So you did live hey. a healthy lifestyle. like you, mentioned. you know, I'm
2: healthier after actually, right? Like I think sometimes you have an awakening. Uh, not that I don't eat like crap sometimes, but I think it's different. Right. You know, and, and, and I, and I joke and it's frustrating. Like I just had an insurance physical this week for life insurance. And, and, you wow. know, aside from the issue I've got, like I'm healthier than 90% of the people, but you get judged by the actuaries for having an, a, a heart thing. And it's, I joke with the insurance guys. And I'm like, you know, realistically they know everything wrong with me. And mm-hmm. the, the the issue that I still with the valve it's not like a chest grabber. You don't just keel over. And I'm like, I live healthy. Like all my numbers are good, yeah. you know except for bad knees and some other stuff that the army gave me, you know That's everything true. that a 51 year old guy would have, I, I'm, I'm okay. But just because of the heart thing it makes it more difficult. So.
1: So um, still at that time, um, you had, you're an ex-graduate, you graduated West Point. Like you mentioned, you had an athletics um, lifestyle. You also mentioned that bicuspid aortic valve disease, that's hereditary.
2: It is. It, you're born with it way more common in men. I'd never heard of it before. I, and I was lucky enough that I'm horrible about going to the doctor. And I tell people now, go to the doctor, don't miss an annual physical. Because for me, it was luck and timing with all the poking and prodding and everything and I deployed at one point luckily it was a short deployment but I deployed and with all of the health check checks that I got in the army and at West Point no one ever caught it and 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 I, I think I had gone a couple of years before going to the to the uh the doctor and finally I went and you know it's funny I don't remember most of my doctor's names yeah. up to <laughs> Dr. Vavra who was it was I got lucky he heard an abnormality And was like, hey, go go to the cardiologist. I don't think you got to be worried about anything, but I want you to get checked out. Um, And luckily enough, he was the one who caught it. I was completely asymptomatic, as most people are. The day I was going under surgery, the the resident who was listening to my heart and kind of prepping me couldn't hear it. So if I hadn't gone at that time, there's a chance it wouldn't have gotten diagnosed. And the aneurysm that I ended up having to get operated on would have gone undiagnosed. And it's a very, when you hear about people dying of a heart attack, it's not always a heart attack. It could be the aortic aneurysm dissecting, which basically you, your heart is pumping blood just into your chest cavity. So and you I die- So
1: possibly have a bicuspid aortic- Less likely in you,
2: women. You double X's are much better than X, X, X Y's on that one. <laughs> don't, I don't know that we had a history of it. Wow. But, and it's, not, it's weird. It's not something you should get necessarily checked on, okay. if, unless there's a genetic propensity. All my, I got all my kids checked. You just never know when the irregular sound might kick in and your doctor might say, "Hey, go get this checked out. And, and you get lucky because when I actually went in and the aneurysm got diagnosed, it was the same thing. I hadn't learned my lesson mm-hmm. and I blew off going to the cardiologist, which I was supposed to do annually. And then I was in a really stressful job and I'm like, God, you know, I'm feeling like I'm huffing and puffing. I'm going to go get it checked out. He's like, your heart's fine, but now you have an aneurysm. And that's when I started having to make decisions with respect to surgery.
0: You're told at the cardiologist that you have an aneurysm. Right. I want to go directly to the day. What? How long ago was that? Or how many years ago? Was it's
2: about that? six years ago.
0: Okay. Six years. What time of the year was it?
2: I went in in March is when I went in for the surgery. And it's funny because I remember when we were talking previously, you know, it was literally after choosing to get the operation, it was like scheduling a dental appointment. They were like, when you want to come in? And I was like, wow, I thought this would be like more like complex. Yeah. Like it would be more like more detail. And, and granted, you have to leave them time to do a lot of prep. There's more prep than getting the wisdom tooth out, but it was very like matter of fact, which is really weird, but it actually in some ways puts you at ease because it wasn't like they were doing some experimental surgery. It's something that's done a lot. It's the heart, right? So, you know, you're looking at like, eh, heart and yeah. lungs getting stopped. Like it, it, it kind of freaks you out, but it was, it was very, and I had the choice too. They looked at it and they said, you're sort of at that borderline in the event that you don't want to go under, under the knife. We could monitor it, but it was like checkups every six months and, and I'm being on all kinds of pharmaceuticals, you know, to keep my pulse down and my and my blood pressure down because that would have put more stress on the aorta. Um, and that and the choice was either then go to the knife now or later. And I looked and I said, unless I have a health issue, something pre-existing that would prohibit it, I'm 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 more inclined to do it early. And I did, and I actually was lucky with that because after the surgery, my my car, my caryothoracic surgeon was like, Hey, you know, I know that we were kind of vacillating on whether we should do this, but your, the wall of your aorta was thinner than we thought. And had you not done this, oh. your level of risk would have been higher. It wasn't like a guaranteed you know, gusher, but he's just like, you. Your, your risk assessment was good because the unknown that was the unknown was in the wrong direction.
1: Wow. So what was going through your mind? I kind of wanted to go back a little bit before you had the actual heart surgery. I know you said it happened. It was a very quick process from cardiologists saying, hey, this is an aneurysm about to happen and you scheduling that actual appointment for open heart surgery in between that time, what were your, what were you thinking? What were going you know, I think mind?
2: it's like, it's sort of like when you're a first time parent and you know, like when my wife is pregnant and you're looking and you're like, well, oh, there's your belly, but there's nothing there. Like, it's not, it's not as concrete for me because it was still like, okay, you know, there's a bump, but there's yeah. I, I, what's in there really isn't impacting my life. Okay, it's scheduled. I, you know, I made either the mistake or, or you know, I did some research. So I looked at like what the fatality rates were, and I looked at like I went on YouTube and watched the the surgery being done, which was good because you look and okay. you say, this is common enough issue that it's done often. And I was with yep. an excellent cardiologist, but again, you always look and say, wow, like it could be something that is fatal. So there was this balance. But then, I think unlike someone who either is Hit with a, a quick, a quick cardiac issue, right? Where it's like, okay, you're going under the knife. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where for me, it was like, okay, the alternative would be constant worry and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, you know, at the end of the day, you don't want to leave your kids orphans and your wife, a widow, but you look and say, if anything happens, I've, I've gotten the insurance, I've done everything I can to take care of them. I'm not going to know right at the end of the day, either, you know, I'm somewhere else or I'm part of the universe again, or whatever you believe. For me, it wasn't going to be an issue. And I thought everyone was taken care of. I think I think in retrospect, I would have done a different engagement with my kids because I'm very pragmatic. It drives them crazy sometimes because this pragmatism, again, is all about like, hey, it's either I get it or what, you know, but all they know is daddy's going under the knife. And that was six years ago. So my oldest who's 18 was 12. Wow. You know, I could go down. Right. So <clears throat> I think maybe getting them into that more because I think I was looking at as very much about me. And I think that was legit. I should have thought about like the impact on other people, but I, you know, to the day they were rolling me in, I was like, the the people were like, you're the happiest person I've ever seen going to open (laughs) our surgery. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm getting rid of what is a certainty with respect to risk, which is a weird way to say it. But like, as long as that's there, it could go. So if I get it fixed, either I, come off the table or I don't, but if I come off the table, I'm in a better position than otherwise.
1: Wait, I know that you mentioned that you maybe would have thought of other people during that time. Do you mean like possibly elongated the the surgery for your children? If- no, no,
2: no, no. I meant like I would have engaged like my kids more and talked about it and like understood um, how they were feeling and stuff like that. Because I think I was very like, again, all about me. I'm like, all right, you know, it's just another, you know, another thing to overcome. Like it's all I about everything looking at it as another challenge really came from the Academy where you were consistently given adversity, where you either overcame it or you didn't. And if you didn't, then you, that you weren't at the right place. And I think having gone through that and knowing that there is a way to really overcome about anything is another part where you just, you become very pragmatic and very in a problem solving thought process. And I don't want to say unemotional, but you can pull the emotion out of decisions like that. For yourself or for anyone else, because you may have had to do that before. So I think I think that definitely helped. But again, that's where I really I don't think I was really realizing the sphere around me how that how they might have been impacted. But I was happy. I was like, hey, I'm I'm going in. I I I I underestimated the recovery. Like the adversity wasn't the surgery. The adversity was like the recovery, where you're like, holy crap, this is this is like the worst I've ever felt in my entire life.
1: So you go into the surgery. You don't. You're obviously medication. So they. They knock you out. Oh yeah,
2: general. Perform. They stop your heart and lungs and they like put you on a machine that makes your heart and lungs go. And then they, oh my
1: goodness. you know,
2: basically it's, it's, it's sort of like plumbing, right? Like they, yeah. they cut out your aorta and then they put a, a, it almost feels like a fire hose, but really small. Right. And they sew that in and they graft it and because like an organ is a self-contained thing. Right. And it needs certain vascular, well, with, with like a vein, like, like an aorta, they can, put it, put non-living material in between it because th- both sides will be fed by capillaries oh, and all that oh, kind of stuff okay. so what i have is completely artificial like if you were to do like an x-ray or an echo like you can see exactly where it is
1: wow
2: but they did leave the valve in so i have the 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 joy of potentially going under the knife again but it didn't make sense to take it out because the valve even though it's not perfect is better than what the alternatives would be
0: long was the surgery?
2: It was like six hours, I think. Like I was, it was a long, like my wife was like, holy crap. That was like the worst waiting ever. I think from when the point where they, where they were like count backwards and you're like, ah, this one, and you're you're like out in two seconds to where I woke up in the ICU. You know, it's like, it's probably six hours.
0: You're getting out of being groggy and you're coming alert, right? Well, you know what?
2: I had never been under that kind of anesthesia. And it's like, like I've had like a colonoscopy where you're like, okay, well, that wasn't too bad. This, you wake up and you've got like the shivers and you're like, you feel terrible, like the worst oh ever, God. right? Like, I've never felt sicker than that. Like if you've never been under like deep where, where they turn you off. Did it, it feel was, like the it,
1: flu? Like hot chills? hot? Oh, pain. It was just
2: like you shiver, but you don't know why you're shivering and you just like, you can't talk and your throat hurts because they had the thing jammed down there. And yeah, it was rude. It was brutal. Oh. And then with, with something like, that type of you got all sorts of tubes sticking out of you and like you know you got a thing in your neck where if they they have like a main line in your neck which is a whole nother story because they they actually and it wasn't their fault something not malpractice but there's like a lot of nerves there so they hit my laryngeal nerve so even after i started recovering i couldn't talk for it was like 90 days because basically my voice box kind of was like paralyzed because my my the laryngeal nerve had been nicked. So all I could do was whisper. It was like my family. So that was
1: an accident. Best 90
2: days. Well, it's just, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard because you've got a big vein. You know, you've got your carotid artery. It could just, it's not like, it's like really hard because so much is right here. So it wasn't like them making a mistake. It was just like how my body was put together and where that was. They just nicked it, but they weren't sure whether whether I would be able to talk again, like, and I'm in sales, like that's this so that's
1: dangerous. Wow.
2: Yeah. Well, it was, dangerous. and but it was like, I couldn't order food, right? Like in the hospital, I would order, they were not what, what I wanted that day. And I'm like, couldn't order food. Right. So like part of the adversity was just like getting the wrong food every day. Like it was terrible.
0: Oh. You said you had to, how long, how long were you in the hospital after post-surgery? You know, they let me go home
2: early. So like, I was right on it. Like after, so you know, once you come out of all that stuff, even with two chest tubes, so you get like tubes that come in like under your rib cage and are up against your heart where it's draining fluid. So I had those up in my body cavity and you've got all kinds of things, but they're like, get up and walk around if you want. I, I was like walking around with a walker by like the second day. And they're like, dude, you, you need to chill out. But <laughs> I was, I was like doped up with a ton of like fentanyl and other great stuff at that point. Right. You still, the I still the remote at that point. So I felt pretty okay there. And there's, you're sort of like adrenalized the whole time. So I was really jumping into it. But I think from the day went in, I was in for four days in, in, in the ICU and, in recovery. And then, you know, some people stay longer, but I was just like, I'm ready to get home. I'm ready to like start. You could have it.
1: stayed longer or.
2: believe um... so. I think they would have given me another day, but mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm ready to go home. There's not much they can do. I mean, the thing is it's there's total inflammation, right? Like your whole, everything that they, We're dealing with your heart and your lungs, everything's inflamed, but it's not like, like a a repetitive, like, like a shoulder, right? If your shoulder gets worked on your movement, like anytime you move, it could do something. So they have to mobilize it, but like, they literally, you know, they sew you up and they put like three, it's almost like twist ties. So they like twist tie your rib cage together. And then they sew it back up. Like I don't have much of a scar but like you got i can still feel where the twist ties were there's not like once the tissue starts mending you heal the healing is relatively fast but you see inflammation like it takes a long time for you to feel like you can do anything but the rest of you, i was amazed at how fast that healed it's like it's almost like a broken bone and a flesh wound so you know if wow. you think about how long that yeah. takes to heal that was about the same
1: when did you start becoming this your athletic lifestyle today like when, when did it, that start kicking in you know, I
2: had it before and that, you know, that was one of the good things. So when I like looked at all the risk assessment, it was, you know, a lot of people died, you know, a, a good enough number, but it was like really old people, people who weren't in great shape. But I think I had one of the things that kept me going. And this is when we talked about like what got me through. I had given up rugby just because my knees and ankles were are terrible and my nose got broken enough times. Ah. So I taken up Aikido about five years before I... Went under the knife. And I oh,
1: keto diet. As luck would
2: have it, right? When I'm going for my my first black belt,
1: mm-hmm.
2: this all happened. Like I my, my sensei was fantastic, and, and she was like, listen, don't feel any pressure, but I would love to see you on the mat in July, which wow. was the next testing cycle. So you're talking March, March, April, May, June, July, five months, five months. And that's a hard test, right? So not only would it have been a matter of not getting over their recovery, it's getting caught up because. When people are training for that, you train a lot of hours. So I think, but in the back of my head saying, this doesn't matter, like having a goal and knowing like the same thing I saw at the academy, like I'm going to graduate from here. I'm going to get my ring. I'm going to that same kind of thing to say, I'm going to get this belt. And it was, it was interesting because it was a big class testing. And a couple of guys were like, I could not take it when you're sitting here, like having had your chest cut open and you're busting your butt to, to earn this. And, and I think that helped. But it but recovery was tough. Like, you know, I, I I'm not one to I've got a pretty good pain tolerance and I had never been in that much pain, and never felt like, "Oh my God!" Like I'm walking ten feet and I can't breathe, and all of that, and just figuring out like when can you actually start doing stuff again, and yeah. you know, going on the mat and having setbacks where you literally feel like your your chest know, might rip open again. Did um, that like
1: mentally do anything to you, or because you've had that training in the past, you were like, "Nope, get past this."
2: I don't know if it's stupidity or or grit, but I was kind of like, I was talking to my doctor, and 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 they said, "Listen, you do what you can, like." you're not going to die. Like nothing you shouldn't, but it was this aspect of, it would have been easy to just say, you know what? It's easy to sit around. I mean, there was a lot less Netflix and stuff back then, (laughs) but, but it would have been easy to say, you know what? I'm just going to not work hard and not do this. And, and that's for me, me, that's what it was about. Like you get that second chance and you're like, okay, well, and that's when I started, I did start like eating a little bit better and, and deciding to lose a little bit of weight and just saying, Hey, you know what? I've got to do now what I can to, to preserve the the health I was given and and an opportunity to that all this getting found right okay. like the 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 the, the different mean. lotteries that I more or less won
0: yeah
2: and then having you know great medical folks who got me off the table during
0: your recovery were the children or your wife or fan, other family members trying to say Doug stop no you know what that, were they your biggest cheerleader and like helping you push I, through I,
2: that's a great question I think that they they never voiced to me whether they felt whether they, whether or not they felt that, that I was going to recover the way I thought I was, right. Like it was, they were supportive. I don't think they were ever saying no. Cause I'm, I'm pretty stubborn, <laughs> but you know, I, I think it's like, they were like, you know, what's the worst that can happen. Now, my kids were young and I think, you know, my wife, I think she was probably in some of the, the meetings with the cardiologist and everyone afterward. I I'm one who always tends to underestimate the difficulty of something. So I'll be like, all right, how, how hard can this be? There's plenty of times where I'm like, all right, harder than I thought it was going to be. But I got to say, it was like, not just my family, but I was blessed with being with a great dojo and the community there was fantastic. And as a result, everyone there was like, we're going to make sure that you get them. Like they were almost feeling like they were earning it for me. And I think, you know, one of the lessons of adversity for that is it's, it's not necessarily about not asking for help, right? Like no. um, I am the guy who likes to say, I did this myself. You know, I think had I not had all these supportive people cheering me on along the way. I, I don't think that it maybe it wouldn't have the same outcome. But I think then, you know, there's the added, the added lift of not wanting to disappoint the people who believe in you. So it's like, They think I can do it. I can do it. I had a laugh though, because this actually carried over to the test. And there's a couple of parts in in the test that are are pretty physically demanding. One of them is you're on your knees and you're attacked by one person. It was only one person, but they picked like the the one who you never wanted to have them call on, right? You're (laughs) like, oh, son of a... And they dragged it out. And I thought I was going to go down. I thought like I rarely had been that tired i think they pulled him over and they're like you know this guy just like had heart surgery my wife thought i was going to die you know and, and afterward i talked to him and a guy he's a guy named bruce he's a great guy and, and i was like bruce man what and he's like i wanted you to really really feel like you earned that belt so you know it even okay. carried over to the test and i think they knew i was i wasn't going to die but surely felt like i was during that test
1: you pushed it to the <laughs> limit
2: you know i think it is one of those things where the limitations are the only ones that you put on yourself. Being in the veteran community, especially, right? Like I look at people, I'm like, oh, I had open-heart surgery. I barely have a scar. And you see guys who are a million times worse who went through the same kind of thing and still they embrace overcoming that adversity the same way. So, you know, I I think everybody can do it. We
1: need that kind of mindset. Like everybody needs to have that. As a parent,
2: I'll say, and and, and people are going to say, oh boy, here. But I do think (laughs) that there's been a lot of, effort to, to reduce adversity with the intent of doing good for your kids. Right. And like, say, okay, I'll help you. And, and I'm anti that, right. Like it would drive my wife crazy when I was doing homework with my kids, which is a form of adversity. And they'd be like, what's the answer? And I'm like, if I tell you the answer, there's no adversity. So (laughs) I would get them through it. But I think that there's, that it's hard. I think like there was a lot more adversity when we weren't overthinking it. The more you hear stories of other people overcoming adversity, if you haven't had that then that that helps when you're in that mindset. You say, "Oh my God! I remember this person. You know, went through this, and and absolutely. and that could get you through."
1: That's absolutely true. So, Doug, what is life like now? Now that um, you still. Well, you're healed, obviously it's been years and yep. you're still living your, your lifestyle. You're working, you're still working, right? In sales?
2: I do, I do. I'm not that old, I never retire yet. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you switched careers or- No, so, yeah.
2: you know what? I, I kind of work for myself, but I think the, the, the overcoming that and, and kind of embracing that you're only here for so long and you know anything could happen. Like anytime I hear about someone dying from an aortic rupture or an aortic dissection- And there's a lot of, of, of famous people who have, right. Like it's, there's the old saying, like when you buy a car, right. Or the old, when you buy a certain kind of car, you notice it like all over the place. God, I never noticed that many people drove, you know, Chevy Colorados. (laughs) Every time I hear about someone dying and they say what it is, no one else hears it the same way. I'm like, oh, I was lucky. And I think that that with age has taken me to the point where I'm like, you can only die with so much money. You know, there's a lot more to do out there and a lot more experience to ha- be had. And you got to embrace that and you got to go out and do everything you can.
0: So adversity is necessary.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. I think you can't reach your potential if there is an adversity. Right. Like I think it's a, it's a hard question. Right. Because you're looking you say how much adversity is enough. Right. And I look at it all the time. I got my daughters at the Coast Guard Academy right now and and I, and, you know, I look at what she's going through with her basic training as an example is mine. And I look and I'm like, it's not what I went through, but it's appropriately difficult. Right. So I think like adversity, that's appropriately difficult for where you are to be able to overcome something. But, you know, I'm going to geek out because Dune just came out. I was watching that and they say fear is a mind killer in that movie, in the book.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: And I think it is the case, right? Like it is it's very much like that takes away your ability to even think through the adversity. Yes. And then, and then go past it. Like if you become really emotionally attached to it and it owns you, then you might never get past it.
1: Wow. You make me feel like I, um, kind of have a new or should have a new perspective when it comes to adversity, when it comes to challenges in my life. So thank you. You know what, that,
2: if I could do that for you and your listeners, man, you know, maybe I got to add another business, like
1: (laughs) motivation. Acre. You should.
2: <laughs> With the stash, you know, and the beard, I could that that could be my trademark.
0: Um, thank you so much, Doug. No, thank absolutely. This has been
2: so much fun. Always
0: remember scars show toughness. That you've been through it and you're still standing. Make sure to join us next time for another episode of
1: Beyond the Scars.